Hi, I'm Jeff Samet. Welcome to Ready for Anything, the podcast that focuses on communicating through critical events and beyond. This series is brought to you by BlackBerry Ad Hoc, powered by Amazon Web Services. The guests who will be joining us are here because of their expertise in the field and not to endorse any particular products or solutions. On this episode, we're zooming in on how organizations communicate through critical events. And more specifically, we'll unpack the question, how are organizations ensuring that their employees are kept safe and informed as they get used to a whole range of new scenarios like returning to work, especially in times when there's so much information to take in already and when that information is often conflicting or confusing? Our first guest today is Dr. Jack Rosdilski, an associate professor of disaster and emergency at York University, Toronto. He is active in post-disaster field research, as well as teaching emergency management at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Prior to joining the faculty at York in 2016, Jack was a professor of emergency management in the U.S. with faculty positions at the University of North Texas and Western Illinois University. He holds a doctorate from Michigan State University. Go Spartans! And prior to joining academia, Dr. Rosdilski worked as a hazard mitigation planner. Jack, good to have you on the show. Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Well, glad to have you. And, and look, we've been in the midst of uh, an epic business continuity challenge over the last several months, and we're seeing all kinds of scenarios playing out currently, depending on location, type of work, even political factors. Some organizations have decided they're never going back to a physical workplace. Others are moving to a, you know, a hybrid model where more remote work is allowed and encouraged, and others are itching to get back to how things used to be with as many people on site as possible. What are some of the key challenges when it comes to organizations communicating with their employees and ensuring they're safe and looked after, Jack, across all these scenarios, and especially for those who are returning to their physical workplace spaces? Well, there are numerous safety issues associated with the uh, return to work right now and in the immediate future. Both labor and management have strong concerns about the risk of returning to the workplace, as we are seeing that the workplace can quickly become a place of outbreak for COVID-19. On the other hand, if we uh, continue the uh, shutdown and interruptions, there are also risks with not returning to the workplace, which makes the circumstance difficult. Closures, numerous difficulties in remote working, and continued workplace interruptions all can have negative economic implications. As we are somewhere in the middle of this pandemic right now, the pandemic status is changing and uncertain, but we also have to acknowledge that it is continuing. As I'm speaking to you from Toronto, we are in various stages of pandemic restrictions right now, but in terms of communication, the goal of pandemic outbreak communication is to maintain trust and confidence during a crisis to avoid fear-driven responses. Designing messages in a way to maintain trust and confidence is a key business continuity challenge facing businesses right now. So what duty of care do large organizations have towards employees returning to their workplaces? In terms of duty of care, we are talking about accepting the professional responsibilities of the employer to put the health interest of employees ahead of the employer's personal interest 
to a reasonable extent. Meaning if employees are asked to take increased risk or faced an increased or disproportionate burden by staffing the workplace during times of COVID-19, the employees should be receiving the support necessary to do so. Also, employers should attempt to mitigate the risk as much as possible. And if we find in certain circumstances that the COVID-19 spread risk cannot be mitigated safely in the workplace, then we have to consider safety as a priority and consider further interruptions and closures until we as a society get a better grip on how to minimize the spread of COVID-19. Okay, so let's talk weaknesses. Like, Are there systemic or common weaknesses that you see? Like, What makes it hard for employers to do business continuity communication well? I have observed three common weaknesses in business continuity communication. One is overestimation or a determination to overemphasize certain pieces of information that could perhaps lead to false conclusions. The second weakness is underestimation or misreading the probability that an event can occur. And the third weakness that I've observed is complacency. Right now, we know something is happening in the community. We are in the middle of it. But what is happening is at times unpredictable and the future is uncertain. With the the unpredictability and uncertainty sometimes, we begin to feel overwhelmed and powerless with all of the information coming in. And complacency sets in no mitigation action is taken, and that acts to actually worsen the threat. So overestimation, underestimation, and complacency are three common weaknesses I am observing right now. Mm. Well, one statistic showed that 50% of workplaces in Canada, Jack, don't have sufficient business continuity plans in place. What are these organizations doing to keep employees safe? And what happens when organizations fail to communicate effectively with their employees uh, through crises or, or major changes and challenges? I think that's a primary challenge we are facing right now because business continuity and communication challenges are at their peak. Some companies we see have invested in business continuity planning and communication prior to the crisis. And right now, we are seeing those firms realize the benefits of their return on investment. At the same time, unfortunately, other companies have not prepared for the crisis ahead of time as well as they should have, and they are playing catch up. The consequences of not being prepared can be considered as three. First and foremost, the challenges to the individual health and safety of employees staffing their workplaces. Second, after we absorb the hits of the health and safety challenges to employees, not having plans uh, in place means there is a problem with a measure of business continuity called the Recovery Time Objective, known as the acronym of RTO. RTO means the duration of time and service level within which a business process must be restored in order to avoid unacceptable consequences. If a business process 
cannot be restored in a reasonable amount of time, the survival of the company is at risk. And what we see, unfortunately, happening right now for many of these businesses, they wind up closing down, which is unfortunate. Mm, of course. Well, now, how are organizations adapting to scenarios where restrictions are imposed, relaxed, and then reimposed? We are seeing a primary adaptation in business processes and communications of rapidly expanding operations into the digital space. Industries that have been based on brick-and-mortar infrastructure, unique physical elements at fixed locations, or based on physical movement have been suffering. At the smaller local scale, we are seeing restaurants, bars, gymnasiums, and those types of uh, businesses facing difficulty. And moving to the digital space is not a solution for everything. But in terms of situations with restrictions being imposed, relaxed, and then being reimposed, such as what we are seeing in the greater Toronto area right now, as long as our internet infrastructure remains functional, expansion into the digital space is a primary mode of pandemic adaptations. What expectations do employees have uh, about all this? And, and what do they want from their employers, Jack? Like, How do you make sure that uh, information coming from employers doesn't just add to all the, the confusing noise that's out there? First, recipients need to have a clear understanding of the message. Second, the communicator needs to clearly define the problem being addressed. And third, a solution has to be recommended. And this is best done in small, bite-sized pieces. For example, one of the current issues under consideration during COVID-19 is the use of non-medical face masks. If we were to craft a communication message regarding that, first we would provide a factual, science-based explanation for what we are communicating. For example, COVID-19 spread by respiratory droplets in the air in a confined space like an office can be a problem. That's how we would establish a factual science base for the problem. Then we would define what the problem is we are trying to solve. We can't solve every problem at once, but in a workplace, we can address them one at a time. For example, the problem of the need to reduce the amount of respiratory droplets in the air that can spread COVID-19 in an office environment. And then third, recommend a clear solution. And that would be wear a mask in the workplace. If you do not have a mask, perhaps the company can provide you with a mask. And maybe even going beyond that for best practices, not only encouraging mask wearing or providing a mask, but providing instructions, perhaps with a picture of how to wear a mask correctly. Okay, what about the delivery of the message? Why is it important to go beyond email as a communication platform for business continuity? What is the the most common approach, Jack? Like, like what do you see in scenarios where not every employee is connected with email? Well, and going beyond email, issues of redundancy are at the forefront. And redundancy is a concept that we take from emergency management and emergency preparedness, where redundancy means 
the extent to which elements can be substituted for those which are lost or disrupted when a disaster strikes. The objective here is maintaining functionality of core business communication functions. Redundancy involves having an excess capacity and backup systems which enable the maintenance of core functions even in the event of disturbances. Now, in times of normalcy, when we're not during a disaster, redundancy may not seem important. In fact, it may seem burdensome. For example, if an office has a good email system set up, people might be asking, why do we need to pay for phones? Why do we need to pay for fax machines when email is a primary mode of communication that works? But then in a time of crisis, when we find the office infrastructure is not necessarily available, maybe due to closures, perhaps everyone is scattered at home and other places at remote work sites, we cannot take advantage of the office infrastructure that we all take for granted. So alternatives like phones, landline phones, fax machines, text devices, pagers, and even in emergency management, we go to the extent of two-way radios, ham radios, and other forms of communication. The point is having redundant technology on hand is one way to attempt to make sure that there are many mechanisms for communication that can be used during times of crisis. Jack, where can listeners find out more about you and the work that you're doing? My work on these topics can be found through the Disaster and Emergency Management Program at York University, or highlights can be found on my website, which is uh, R-O-Z-D-I-L-S-K-Y dot com. Thank you for the opportunity to address this important topic, Jeff. I really appreciate it. There is Dr. Jack Rosdilski, and we'll be joined by our next guest, whose career spans almost 20 years of holding progressively senior roles in the environment, health, and safety space after this. Major storms, cyber attacks, public health crises, domestic terrorism. Is your organization ready to face these kinds of events? With BlackBerry Ad Hoc, powered by AWS, your organization can deliver up-to-the-minute awareness, secure communications, and interagency collaboration before, during, and after a crisis. And with regional data centers around the world, AWS ensures that BlackBerry Ad Hoc is available and accessible when it's needed. The public and private sector organizations that trust BlackBerry Ad Hoc for critical event management aren't just saving time, resources, and property. They're saving lives. It's the easy, secure, and centralized approach to planning, managing, and remediating critical events. Be ready for what's next. Visit blackberry.com slash ad hoc. That's A-T-H-O-C. Our next guest is Laura Beatty. Laura is the Director of Enterprise Business Continuity Management and Global Environment, Health and Safety at BlackBerry, and her career spans almost 20 years of holding progressively senior roles in the environment, health, and safety space. Laura has also led companies' response on a, a number of emergencies, including the latest pandemic. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you. And Laura, Jack described many of the key challenges organizations are facing when it comes to keeping their people up to speed through business continuity issues. What would you add to that list based on what you've seen? 
Well, I think one of the common challenges is when organizations either don't have well-established plans or even more importantly, well-tested plans that can be quickly activated during unexpected events. So I'm referring to crisis management, emergency response, and business continuity plans. And I emphasize the well-tested plans because having these documents sitting on the shelf aren't going to be very effective if no one's familiar with them. So practicing these plans on a regular basis is what really helps with the predictability of behavior and confidence. And that's why, you know, we're so good at responding to a fire alarm because we've practiced that scenario over and over through drills. However, how many organizations have regularly practiced their pandemic plan prior to COVID-19? So today, you know, global businesses are dealing with such a variety, wide variety of different emergencies from wildfires to violent protests and security breaches. And businesses now need to consider, you know, plans for these type of situations as well. And without these established and tested plans, then roles and responsibilities aren't clearly defined. So at time of incident, people don't really know what is expected of them. And as a result, the overall response may not be as well coordinated as you, as you hoped. And another challenge for some organization is not having dedicated resources or expertise on staff to not only develop the plans ahead of time, but also to operationalize them. So in many cases these days, employees are wearing multiple hats and smaller companies likely don't have 24 seven operation teams to monitor global impacts, identify affected employees, especially now with employees working from everywhere. And then of course, and Jack alluded to this, consistency, timeliness, and accuracy of communication is another big challenge. So if your emergency messaging is delayed or contains inaccurate information, well, it's gonna discredit your communication among your employees. So for example, if you say that there's an active attacker in the area and your alert mentions that, yet the person was already apprehended an hour ago, well, your message is no longer relevant and employees will start to ignore them because they won't see value in them. And of course, another big one these days is security of information. It's so critical. You want the confidence that what you are sharing internally and collecting from your employees is protected. And lastly, overlapping of emergencies seems to be a more recent challenge nowadays. Most of us, you know, we're working from home, but what if some of your employees while working from home are then displaced from their homes due to wildfires and hurricanes? You know, this is adding another whole layer of complexity to business continuity planning. Let's delve deeper on organizations addressing these challenges. Laura, can you give us some some practical suggestions? Sure. So I think the key is really to build on what you already have in place. So for your incident crisis management process, you probably already have key contacts at each site um, or in your regions that you engage for incidents. It could be your emergency volunteers, HR facilities, security, and so on. So you can start to assemble local incident management teams with these key contacts, as well as senior leaders representing the business groups that reside in these areas. And once you have these groups formed for each location or region, then you set up global distribution lists so that at a time of incident, you can have one thread of communication with that local incident management team and everyone is on the same page. So everyone who needs to know what is going on at that location or in that region is in the know. And these local incident management teams can help with situational awareness and providing direction. Then you formalize one executive crisis management team consisting of your top senior leaders, and you escalate information to this team for more severe impacts and when overall directions required, such as obviously the decision to close all your sites for this pandemic. And now you've established a clear chain of command and you have a framework for your incident and crisis management process. Next, assessing your risks 
understanding impacts, and putting the necessary plans in place. So prioritize by starting with your high risks. From a safety perspective, perhaps you have offices or employees in areas where floods or tornadoes are prevalent. From a business continuity perspective, we assess risks associated with loss of sight, people, technology, and third parties. So perhaps you have critical system infrastructure and it's getting old and you don't have failover for it. That's a risk. Have you been putting any effort into succession planning or cross-training for your single points of failure? How reliant are you on your third parties and do they have business continuity in place? That may be another risk for you. And then next, regular exercising your plans reinforces your processes and sets everyone up for success during real events. So even if your processes aren't perfect yet, start testing them. Run tabletop exercises with pretend scenarios. You know, set the scene, like what if? What if a disgruntled employee was to walk into one of your buildings and announces they've planted a bomb? What would you do? What if some of your single points of failure go off sick with COVID-19 and they're gone for a while? You know, you set up these scenarios and have your key staff discuss their responses to them. And lastly, to address communication challenges, leveraging technology really helps to reduce the manual effort. So during the recent hurricanes, we were able to promptly send an alert via multiple delivery channels, such as text, email, and app. And that included response options such as, I'm safe, I need assistance, or I'm not in the affected area to confirm the safety of our employees. So we were able to get responses quite quickly. Many organizations likely have a lot of these pieces, but the magic is when you can make all these pieces work together. So it may take a while to get everyone on board, but if you continue to use these processes consistently, over time, you will see a cultural shift. Well, what factors should organizations consider when developing an internal communications process? Well, first off, have a clear crisis communication plan. You know, outline those responsibilities, determine who's crafting the messages and who's sending them out and via which communication channels. Number two, I would say, is targeted and timeliness of your messaging. So sending targeted messages to the right employees at the right time is key. And where pre-drafted messaging is not available, you need to be able to create customized content based on information coming in from your local incident response teams. Number three, I would say, is accounting for safety of employees. So employees need the ability to quickly and easily respond to these emergency alerts. And operational teams need the ability to identify and follow up with the non-responders to make sure they're okay. And consistent and trusted communications. So emergency messaging should have a consistent look and feel so employees recognize it and know that it's coming from a trusted source. And I know our employees have really appreciated, you know, with all the bombardment of information out there, that they can rely on the alerts they get from BlackBerry to know what is happening in their area in terms of the offices, what they're open, what phase they're in, and so on. And finally, you know, you can optimize your communication platform for other applications as well. So we looked at surveying our employees to gauge how they are managing with their remote work or what their attitudes are about returning to the workplace. And these questions can be accompanied by multiple response options. And actually, we're now leveraging our emergency communication tool for the daily COVID health screening requirement that our provincial government has recently mandated. The one thing I have learned when it comes to communicating during difficult times is that employees want more rather than less from their employers. They want to know that their employers care about their safety and well-being, that they're on the pulse of what is happening, and that they are transparent in what direction the company is taking to protect them. 
Absolutely. Uh, Laura, where can listeners find out more about you and your work? So people can find me on LinkedIn, or if you want to learn more about BlackBerry's products and services, then they can go to www.blackberry.com. Laura Beatty, thank you so much for joining us. As we continue, we'll tell you about what's coming up in Episode 3 of the Ready for Anything podcast. When keeping employees safe is your number one priority, you need a communications approach you can trust. That's why organizations around the world choose BlackBerry Ad Hoc powered by AWS for critical event management and communication. It's the proactive way to deliver accurate information directly to your people on everything that affects their well-being, from routine events to severe weather to health emergencies. Employees can stay informed on public health or safety procedures, respond to wellness surveys, or let you know if they're in trouble. Secure targeted communications can be delivered to specific employee groups and departments, ensuring the right message gets to all the right people right when it matters. And with regional data centers around the world, AWS ensures that BlackBerry Ad Hoc is available and accessible when it's needed. Save time, resources, property, and lives. Visit blackberry.com slash ad hoc. That's A-T-H-O-C today. Thanks for joining the Ready for Anything podcast. In episode three, we'll look at government networked communications to various public and private entities. I'm Jeff Samet. We'll see you then.